This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. We're here on Saturdays. We talk about the disease of addiction and most particularly the road to recovery. The whole thing is sponsored, of course, by Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. You know, I make this point a lot, and you can't make it often enough, I don't think. We all know the story about the opioid situation in this country. It's at epidemic levels. We know the toll of human lives it has cost. There's plenty of coverage of that, justifiably and rightly so. We need to bring attention to this problem. The other, the other part of the story is that a lot of people get sober. I, I may not look like it from, from where you're sitting or what you're hearing and seeing, but they do. And uh, this show is about how to do that because, it, as I said, can be done. Something over 15 or 20 million people, the last figures I saw, uh, are living in long-term successful sobriety. So, so the focus of the program is the many ways and techniques and treatments available, particularly a place like our sponsor, Retreat, Premier Addiction Treatment Centers, and first-person accounts of that journey through substance abuse and sobriety. So if this disease has not visited you or your, your loved ones or your family, that's great. That's good for you. If it does, though, it, it's scary. Um, it's obviously life-threatening. But it's important to remember that people succeed in their fight over this disease. So that's what we're dedicated to here on Recovery Radio. To that end, we very frequently reach out for retreats, very robust uh, alumni organization. Uh, Yeah, I know. It sounds like, what what is it, a college? Uh, There's an important function for being an alumni member who is in sobriety. It helps in a multitude of ways to remain sober. And we reach out to them so that you can hear these success stories. They can be very, very powerful. They can be very sobering, too. Uh, if you'll pardon the pun. So we bring you another uh, member of Retreat's alumni group. Uh, Kimberly Thorpe is uh, with us in the studio, and she was very quick to re- tell me that I should refer to her as Kimmy, which I'm okay with doing. So we uh, we welcome uh, Kimmy Thorpe to Recovery Radio. Kimmy, did I get any of that right? Does that, that sound all right to you? Yeah, that's correct. Yeah. Let's begin with the good news, and you are – you just celebrated – a year, you're now 14 months sober. Yes, March 5th. How old are you? I am 25. 25. Looking, before we get back in, we want to we want to hear your story, but before we get to that, do you remember a time when the idea that you would be sober for 14 months was inconceivable? Yes, probably about seven months ago. <laughs> I thought it was crazy. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> So tell us about uh, about uh, Kimmy Thorpe. Where where uh, where were you brought up? Where you know where, where were you born? Where did you go to school? All of that. Um, I was born in uh, New Jersey, South Jersey. Um, I went to Rancocas Valley Regional High School in Mount Holly, um, and just had a wonderful family that loved me very much, and grew up with siblings and was raised with great morals and surrounded by love. That's something that um, I'm very grateful for is the amount of love that my family 
gave to me. You know, I never, not, I never didn't know where my hot meal was coming from or that I would have clothes on my back. I knew that I was secure. Uh, was there a history in your family of substance abuse? Um, not one that you would like recognize up front. I mean, my uh, my pop up, my grandfather my, on my mom's side, he struggled with alcohol abuse, and it was not really talked about that much. But he lived in Florida, so I didn't really see it, and mm-hmm. it wasn't really presented in my face often. But that was uh, that was it. And you found out about that later. Yeah. 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 Uh, so you, yeah, I know you mentioned all this because. You're sort of the least, the least likely person to wind up with this with substance problems. I mean, you yes. can't blame this on your environment, I guess, mm-hmm. right? Yeah, okay. I'm, I mean, they they said I was the person who was going to go places. That I was going to do big things. So for me, it was like a shock. So growing up, um, uh, you were the. Where are you in the uh, sibling rankings? You oldest, youngest, um, where the baby? You're the baby I of the am. family. So you had all the attention lavished on you. You were the superstar of the family. You had a lot of love. Your parents were fine together, right? There wasn't any tension or any of that. They've been together uh, 30-plus years, still loving in like a sick way. You're almost like in a room. They're they're beautifully Mm -hmm. happy in love. Yeah. Yeah. Well, then, so growing up, how how come all of those, all of that positive reinforcement, what effect did it have on you? How, How were you feeling as a youngster growing up? Um, I mean, with my family, within my family, secure, I had no problems. I knew who I was in my family, you know. Um, It was more of my individuality growing up and coming into a young girl, young woman, um, was when I felt discontent, you know, in school as far back as I can remember, just not feeling like I fit in, like I had to blend. Any idea or things that came out of my mouth was something I heard from somebody else prior, you know. I was saying the things that I thought, You'd want to hear me say that would sound good. And you remember feeling that way at a very young age? Yeah. Yeah. Did you look around and notice uh, your peers who seemed to be able to handle it better than you and wonder why? Yeah, it seems like everybody else had life, like, figured out and that they could just be so comfortable when I'm worried about, you know, am I sitting up straight? Am I sitting up too straight? Am I slouching? Is my... Do I have too big of a belly? Am I not pretty enough? Do my clothes look as good as their clothes? I knew they didn't. You know. you know they didn't or you thought they didn't? No, I know in a, in, a, in a respectful way, you know, like I had hand-me-downs and that's okay. And, and I was made fun of for that. Everybody, you know, I grew up in a nicer area, but I didn't have the clothes that everybody else did. Yeah. And I'm okay with that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you weren't the only uh, young girl who was feeling uh, awkward. I mean, it's mm-hmm. sort of a rite of passage. Uh, boys handle it, I think, a little better. They just act like knuckleheads and, <laughs> uh, you know uh, – Rough house and all that. But girls have a little, diff- uh, I think anyway, a little more difficult time finding their place, particularly when they're young like that. D- did you ever talk to any, did you have close friends, young, young, when youngsters, and you could say, I, I don't feel right in, um, in the group? I definitely had, you know, a few close friends, um, two of whom I'd keep anonymous, but, you know, they were with me for years, you know, and it, like through years and were there for me, but they were just the same as me. And they are the same as me today you know, in recovery themselves. So You found that group? When I was young. We yeah. didn't know it, like, in seventh, third grade that we would, you know, and it was, like, two people. It, 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 I always say that every story of substance abuse and recovery is the same, except they're different. Do, mm-hmm. So so we're going we're gonna, to, you know, get into that different part of it, but I, I don't want to belabor this, but it is fascinating because it is part of a, a pattern, you see. So at what point, 
did you find yourself experimenting with drugs or alcohol? How young were you? I was uh, 15 years old when uh, I first smoked weed. Do you remember how who introduced you to that? Um, it was actually I don't uh, or no uh, yeah it was actually uh, my brother sorry um, mm-hmm. my brother did and that's you know somebody I trust and I loved it I felt comfortable I felt you know funny silly free immediately yeah yeah so you'd found something mm-hmm. that on the one that immediately relieved the anxiety the mm-hmm. social the social anxiety. And then uh, what happened? I mean, and, and again, a lot of kids do that. A, a lot of kids are introduced to, to marijuana or even or beer or something, and inhibitions are loosened, and suddenly they feel like they fit in. What was different about your experience? Um, I don't know. I've heard a lot of people like freak out and panic, and that they have this like, you know, terror or whatever. For me, it was fun, and I'm like, yeah, I'm doing this again. And like, I felt like I was the life of the party. I felt like the reason everybody had fun was because of me. You know, I I thought like I was the reason that this was going so awesome, and that I, from then on out, I smoked weed every day. And so that social misfit, misfit, <laughs> awkward girl, my clothes aren't as cool as hers, <laughs> goes away immediately. Mm. Immediately, mm. yeah. See, yeah, I, people who have who have use drugs recreationally and didn't wind up with a problem, find that description of yours mystifying. They go, really? Well, why did, why did that happen for her? So what happens next? I mean, is it, do you just, how quickly do you progress up to, to a problem abuser? Um, you know, I dabbled here and there in certain things that one of my good friends was like, here, try this, you know, a pill here, another pill here. But, um, you know, at 16 years old, so I was 15 at, trying and smoking weed every day um at 16 year old 16 years old was the first time that i um you know tried heroin 16 16 you started smoking pot at 15 mm-hmm. was, so so you, you so you were you were moving pretty quick yeah it's very odd a lot of people look at me very strange when i tell them it was so quick but um yeah i snorted heroin for the first time at 16 years old yeah if, for an old guy like me who's grew up in a drug culture when i was your age that's the mo- that's among the most remarkable things that's changed about young people. That the speed with which they get to very dangerous drugs, mm-hmm. very very fast. So it doesn't surprise me. Um, the other thing I guess that went on was that suddenly you found a group that you you did fit in with. Is it right? Yeah, I mean, um, they're doing things that I know is wrong because I was I was taught you know heroin is bad, but I didn't understand the disease factor of it. I that's. You know, we'll get to that later on, but I just I knew that it was just bad. But I had people who were telling me, reassuring me that it was awesome and what we were doing was okay, and they're having fun letting loose, and it was a way for me to express myself that I didn't even knew I could do or have within me. How prevalent was that uh, in your high school when when you were sixteen years old? Her- heroin. Oh, I was like one of the only people. It, my school in particular. Yeah, yeah the, you, in your, the area you were aware of. Yeah, my school personally, like it, it wasn't. It was like a weed school. The The woman who introduced it to me was in the school that it was known for. Oh, so there was a school nearby that was known for that. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's, it's terrifying when you, when you think about this. Mm-hmm. Our guest in the studio is Kimmy Thorpe. Kimmy uh, joins us as a member of Retreat's alumni group. She's now 14 months sober she told us at the beginning here that um, it's not so very long ago she thought that would be impossible. But I can tell you, uh, sitting here, she, she's uh, clear-eyed and uh, right here, right now, telling us her story of uh, successful sobriety. So stay with us. We have more 
You're listening to Recovery Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Recovery Radio. In the studio with us is uh, Kimberly or Kimmy Thorpe. Uh, Kimmy's a member of Retreats Alumni Organization, a growing group of people who are successfully in um, recovery and uh, keep together in, in a very strong bond through through a number of things, not least of which is this alumni group. Um, Kimmy's been very open with us, telling us her story of substance abuse and now her 14 months of sobriety. Uh, Kimmy, you went, as you said at the beginning of your story, you went very rapidly from marijuana to uh, heroin. Uh, what was the what was the difference? How did you feel differently? You said marijuana was great, made you feel great. You were loose, you were fun, have a great time. What did heroin do for you? Um, it it did the same thing as weed. Um, and honestly, like looking back at it now, I realized uh, the female introducing to me, like she was already full blown addicted. So that was being presented in front of me more than weed was, you know, and I wasn't thinking anything of it. I was just like, oh, this is fun. We're just partying. It's okay. And it wasn't until I was without it for a day and I realized I was physically dependent. And I was like, oh, I just won't do as much next time. How, how quickly did that happen? That you that you knew you were de- you know physically dependent upon heroin. Um, after like a whole month of just using it. At sixteen. Um, actually, this was like transitioning to seventeen. Yeah. It was sixteen. I tried it, but it was seventeen where it I was doing it again, and then it it was nonstop till uh, this like now. <laughs> did that scare you? Yeah, I mean, it, it scared the heck out of me. I'm sitting there like, wow, I'm I'm sick because of a drug. But in my brain, I was like, oh, I, if I just withdraw, I can just not do as much and I can do it recreationally. No idea that it's a way bigger demon um, than what I thought it was. Nobody's telling you. No, Nobody's. I'm not going to tell anybody, hey, I'm, I'm sick on heroin. What should I do? You know, I can't tell anybody, let alone tell them I smoke weed, you know. How, how large a circle of people um, at that point in your life were you around that were also do, was also abusing heroin? Um, at, at first, it was this one girl. This one girl and yeah. then it was, um, you know, me and my other friend, this guy friend of mine. And it was just the three of us. And then there was another dragged in. And before I knew it, they knew somebody who knew somebody who knew somebody. But at the end of the day, it came down to me. So when you, can't, when you, when you begin forming that social network of like-minded uh, heroin abusers, what happens to your other friends? Do they fall away or what happens? Um, yeah, I mean – I try to keep a face and a facade. I'm really good at doing that or at least attempting to. And I I tried to present myself as okay. And everybody who was like a, a normal person per se who didn't have a problem I did um, knew something was very off with me. And then s- shortly, like very quickly, as soon as it um, became intravenous and no longer, you know, snorting, mm-hmm. um, did I start uh, causing much wreckage with everybody, including my friends who did heroin. Yeah, you know? yeah. I was like a bull in a china shop. Yeah, well, so so this when your behavior changes, what, what's going on at home? Uh, if your friends were able to see something was changing in you, uh, what was happening at home? Honestly, um, my brother got into a very bad car accident and uh, was in Cooper Hospital um, for two months and lost his leg. And so... He's in Camden. I'm going to go get my little stop right there and then go see him in the hospital. So 
Um, and I don't blame my parents, but, you know, there's a lot of focus on him. I could fly under the radar very, very easy. They had no idea. And it wasn't until um, I first overdosed and went to the hospital did they find out that I was using heroin. I'll back up just a second. Your brother's in the hospital, mm-hmm. serious accident, lost mm-hmm. a leg. Mm-hmm. And you have a conscious thought in your mind, I'm going to go visit him. And, oh, great. I can score while I'm in Camden. Yeah. So that's the way the drug works. Yeah. Like looking at it now, of course, it's like, wow, that's very sick thinking. You know, you would think my brother would be priority. And that's where people, you know, get very angry with us. And it's totally understandable. But in my brain, that is the normal way to think because that comes first. Because at that point, that's what you were doing. That's, yeah. That defined who you were. You were somebody who got high on heroin. Mm-hmm. But I was still very much in denial that that was priority in my brain. And you say your folks were focused, obviously, on your brother's problems. Mm-hmm. But in general, they, they they didn't see any change in your behavior. Excuse me. Um, they, they did say afterwards that uh, they did notice something was off. But, you know, heroin, they'd never seen it, touched it, smell it, anything. So they couldn't – they didn't know for sure. They were thinking maybe weed. Because people uh, who haven't been through this in their family are sitting around going, come on, if my kid was doing heroin, I would know it. I what, Something's wrong with those people. How do you answer that? Um, you know, that's a tough question because a lot of, a lot of folks say that, you know, how do you not know? But um, one, you know, you're taught like as a parent to love, adore protect your child at all costs and every mean. And so there's that denial factor. And then, of course, there's learning about it and then trying to save, you know, save, 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 which is ending up being enabling um, until they learn, hopefully, to, like, let go. But, um, you know, it, it, it's the most shocking thing in the world. My parents were floored, you know, and they blame themselves and call themselves stupid, but it's really much harder to catch until, like, the worst of it comes. Yeah, it's important to mention this because, as I, again, as I say, people listening who don't know what this disease can, is capable of wonder about that. They think there's something wrong with your folks, for instance. No. And you've just said it beautifully. Uh, everything that is instinctual about being a parent, in fact, becomes almost uh, the wrong way to behave. Yeah. It almost made it easier for you to abuse heroin right yeah i mean and and also we become mass manipulators and um people that we never you know i can only speak for myself but i became somebody that i enjoyed that i didn't know i could be this sneaky and this creative with these lies and stories and that's another part of the disease that's so powerful like who would want to be that way and that was what i became and i and i was okay with that and when did you first overdose and this whole facade you built up came crashing down um i was 18 or i was 18 years old uh still living at home yep uh Mm -hmm. 18 years old and it was january 26th the month before my birthday it was actually my brother went to the hospital january um third of that same year so they almost lost him and me at the same time um but when they thought like my overdose was a slip like i kept going and going and going did you uh, where well, when we come back, you'll, you'll tell us the particulars because I want to I want to get a, a real sense of that moment because it must have been earth shaking for your parents. We're talking to uh, Kimmy Thorpe. Kimmy is 14 months now sober after some very a very serious battle with uh, substance abuse. She's now a member of Retreats Alumni Group, about which more in a little bit. You're listening to Recovery Radio. We have more. Don't go away. 
Welcome back to Recovery Radio. My name is Steve Martirano. We're here on uh, Saturdays. We talk about the disease of addiction. The whole thing is sponsored by Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. If you listen to the program at all, you know I say this every single week. We give. I'm going to give you their phone number, and I'm going to give it to you in the in the hope that you never have to use it. That's the simple truth. But um, when the disease of addiction arrives, as our guest in the studio has been telling you, and as you've heard before, people don't see it coming. No one plans for this disease. No one sees it coming. When it does, people have to make extraordinary decisions under extraordinary circumstances. Lots of pressure, lots of fear, uh, and nobody to turn to. So I'm going to give you Retreat's phone number and remind you they'll answer your questions. Just answer your questions. Uh, Maybe you've got questions about the treatment you're in now. Maybe you've got questions about, is my kid in trouble? Whatever your questions, something you've heard on the program, you can call Retreat. They will give you their best answer. 855-859-8808. That's Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. Incidentally, if you visit their website, you'll see that they are world-class facilities. They've helped lots and lots of people. Uh, So, Here's the phone number again, 855-859-8808, Retreat Premier Addiction Treatment Centers. From their alumni organization, which incidentally I should point out is uh, headed up by Retreat's uh, legendary Maggie Hunt, who is usually with us when we have our alumni people, and Maggie does a lot of stuff here at Retreat, and she is really the driving force behind this growing group of alumni, and we're going to find out more about that group straight ahead. Um, Kimmy Thorpe is a part of that alumni group, and she's been sharing with us her story of substance abuse, very serious uh, bout with with uh, heroin, and um, the overdose that you were telling us about, which began this process. First of all, the whole crumbling down of the facade you built up. Where where did that take place? Were you home? Were you out? What ha- what was that circumstance? I was actually in a mall bathroom. Um, with the girl who first introduced me to it, um, you know, and, and it's crazy because any time, because I've, I've overdosed more than once, um, sadly, and uh, every time I, I had this feeling in my stomach, like, maybe I should, like, do less or maybe I should do, like, change whatever. And I wouldn't listen, of course, because I want what I want and I want it now. And um, all I remember is just sliding on the wall. And then waking up to um, paramedics over me. And it was weird because it was like black at first. And I thought it was my father pulling me out of my bed. And then I, I realized I was still in the bathroom. And the reality hit me. And it wasn't, oh, my gosh, I overdosed and I almost died. It was, oh, crap, um, I'm caught. I got caught. I'm caught. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, who called the paramedics? Was the girl, girl you were with? She did, which, um, thank God, you know, because she could have left me. Why not? And she didn't. Yeah, you, so you're so a year after you're introduced to uh, heroin, you're now shooting it up in restrooms in in a mall. Yeah. And what was your parents' reaction? All I remember is like when they walked in, I you know I had the biggest smile because my comfort and love for my parents is all I wanted, and their faces were just unlike I've ever ever seen before. You know, furious, sad, heartbroken, disgusted. It was just a mix. When you say they walked in, they walked into the bathroom where you were? Or no. By that time, you made it to the hospital. <laughs> the hospital. Yeah. 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 And so that now they know exactly what the deal is. Yeah. Tell us about that. What are they saying to you? First of all, they're glad you're alive, and they're asking you about how you feel. But what else are they asking? Um, they're asking me, you know, what the heck? What the heck? What the heck? Over and over, you know, just they don't know, and they don't know how to ask me. 
And, you know, the first thing I'm going to say is that was my last time. Because actually in my brain, that was going to be my last time ever. It's crazy because that was my idea. I was like, this is it. Let's go all out. Because it scared you? Or you were just trying to make sure mom and dad didn't freak out anymore? I was actually just trying to stop. I was like, I don't really think I want to do this anymore. So I was like, all right, let's do it one last time. And, um, yeah, I told them I was actually the last time, I swear. And I'm convincing them as much as I've convinced myself that, like, that's it. This is it. I swear. So... Did the paramedics give you Narcan? Is that what yeah. revived you? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And you remember how you felt? When you say when you opened your eyes again and you were disoriented, uh, your high was also gone as well, right? Correct. I was super sick, super mad. Um, I was like, What oh. were you mad about? That I was not that I wasn't high anymore. It, eventually, when I overdosed and like I was woken up, it got to the point where I was like, "Man, why am I still alive?" So that's like the progression that eventually happened with me. Mm-hmm. Is I was like, "Why did you wake me up? I'm, I'd rather be dead." So you're in the hospital now. Your your parents are shattered. Um, they just just I can't imagine what that's like. At at what point do you and they start talking about? I got to do something about this. I got to get into treatment. I was twenty. Because, uh, so I was 18 when I overdosed. It wasn't until I was 20 did I go into my, yeah, uh, until I went to my first treatment. Be- how, well, how did you, how did you get away with that? I mean, <laughs> what, you mean they weren't demanding you get into treatment? What, what did you tell them that you didn't need it? You could do it yourself? Well, the thing is, um, you know, we together learned the disease of addiction. So they were just as naive as I was. Like, as convincing as I was to them, I really believed it that I could just stop. So they, like, took me to Florida for, like, two months to see my grandparents, you know, Thought that that would be enough, and like I would be fine, and then I, like, then I wouldn't, and I'd be under the radar, and then they'd find out, and then it'd be, I would stop, and then it's under the radar. So it was like an ongoing cycle, and it wasn't until they were just like, "You're out of rehab," you know. I was like, "No," and and I, I did. It's amazing. That's a great point you just made. I mean, uh, people think they can understand where uh, like parents might be ill-equipped to figure mm-hmm. out what to do next, but I think there's a perception that. The substance abuser probably knows what should happen, and they're the, you in that point. You were the last person on earth who would know what to do, right? Yeah, you had nothing, no idea. Of, first of all, you didn't think you were sick, right? Um, at this, I mean, the first at, time when you first overdosed, you just oh, thought no. you made a mistake, right? Yeah, I thought I did too much and I was going to stop, yeah. and now that's it. Yeah. yeah, this was just this was just a, an accounting error. <laughs> I, I did I did a little a little too much. Little too so much. two years, you're back using it again. And are your parents? What are your parents doing during that period? Are they are they noticing something's up? Um, I think it was still back in the denial phase. And my brother, you know, he was learning how to walk with this prosthetic. So their attention was diverted. Yeah, yeah, but so they were trying to split their attention. Meanwhile, my poor sister is juggling being kind of kept to the side. God bless her heart. And um, you know, so I was able, and they trusted me because I was a very trustworthy person. Where I'd be like, I'm going out with so and so, who they had no idea. So they trusted I'd be with that person. I'd be yeah, safe. Yeah, you, you were so you were very capable of still getting over on your on your on your folks, yeah. and then and then something happens and treatment is absolutely necessary. Right, yeah. another overdose. Is that what happened, or just a spiral downward? I did. I did overdose again, um, and I did overdose again, and then it was that was at nineteen, and it was just like an ongoing cycle. Um, so what – tell me about the moment when either they or you or together, you go, I gotta, I've got I've to get some treatment here. When did when, – what, what happened there? I can't even recall because it was just such a long time ago at this point because um, I've been through so much after that that um, I don't know 
like what time of year or so how, but we went to a facility in Virginia and they were with me. Uh, my parents have always been supportive and that is what I'm so grateful for. Um, but they were with me and I was terrified. I mean, I was petrified because it is that fear of like, I'm weak, you know, having to turn your will over to any sort of program, a facility, anything like that. I felt weak, like I'm weak that I have to be here. Um, I can't just stop on my own. This is terrible. So um, I was terrified and going in was like just defeating. You you lived on the street for a while, correct? Yeah. Yeah. I, um, you know, I thought I'd be one and done when I got out of rehab. I thought I was like cured, you know, and um, it just kept going and going and going. I, uh, the problem was I always went home back to mommy and daddy and they allowed me to go home. And it wasn't until they heard that they should start not doing that and they kicked me out. You know, because I, I stole for the last time, did use for, you know what I mean? They were done, which I can't even imagine how hard that is for a parent. And um, I was. They, they, so they told you that you, you can't come back here. Anymore. Yeah. Yeah. I was kicked out a few times, but then I'd crawl back and be like, I'll go to treatment. I'll go to treatment. I'll go. And then this time they were like, goodbye. So for like a year and a half, I was I was homeless on the streets, um, which is no way of life for anybody. I know. I know. We, we're not. I'm not looking to put a number on the number on the amount of treatments that didn't work for you and how how many times you relapsed and all of that. But there was multiple times. Each time, what did you tell yourself? That I would do it. That that I will stay sober. That I'll. Or and the problem was each rehab, I'd be like, oh, I'll su- I'll take this suggestion that they're telling me to do, but I'm not going to do that one because I didn't want to be uncomfortable with the things that they were telling me to change about myself. You know, I. It's scary to want to – you have to change everything. And that's a very scary thing to do, um, alcoholic, drug addict or not. You know, change is uncomfortable for anybody. So what's in the mind of you as, as, a, as an addict uh, that, you're, that you're not as sick as they think you are and that, if you, as you say, if you just did this and maybe did that, you'd be okay? And it doesn't work like that, does it? Mm-hmm. What do you have to? So, what changes when you when when treatment starts to work for an addict? Uh, for you, anyway, what changed in your thinking? Um, you know, the, something you just said is like super perfect. You know, it's not that the treatment is different; the treatment that changes you, and this is just my experience. It's it's the willingness of me to change and listen to what each facility is saying, and they've all, they all say the same exact thing it's just like the time that I was finally ready to to listen and take suggestions and what changed was you know this time coming into this last facility you know it wasn't the time I was homeless I actually had a period of sobriety um, after my homelessness um, and I, I relapsed and like had like a really bad stint at the hospital I was more spiritually bankrupt like I was de- just defeated I you know I wanted to die I was I hated anything about who I was or anything like that so um what was so different was I realized I don't know anything I don't know anything at all so you tell me what to know what to do and what to live and I gave up all my old thinking and yeah fight that's that that's that it's the cliche we hear about the bottom yeah. um which is different for each person each individual. I think, you know, for me, and this is just for me, um, my bottom has a trap door underneath it. I will go deeper and deeper until death. This is the bottom that I hit that was enough for me. But I know that I will always have a deeper bottom. 
You know what? That's a healthy attitude, I would guess. But let me ask you something. Were you ever suicidal during during any of this? Yes. Um, it was after I almost had six months of sobriety. Um, you know, I, I relapsed and it was just like, how could I do that after being so happy and free for like the first time? Because I could get two months max. Then I got to the point I couldn't get a day. So I was just so defeated that I was like, you know what? I My disease told me that truly my parents, my sister, my brother, my friends, anybody in my life would truly be better off without yeah, me. Yeah, they don't need this. They don't need me. And I'm, I'm not good enough. To, yeah. And I didn't think I was worth it to recover. So um, I tried to intentionally overdose. Twice. Uh, uh, Kimmy Thorpe is our guest. She's 14 months uh, sober now and sharing with us her uh, journey and her family's journey uh, through the disease of addiction. This is Recovery Radio. We have another segment with Kimmy, so stay with us. We'll be back. We're back on Recovery Radio. Our guest in the studio is Kimmy Thorpe. Kimmy is, uh, I'm sorry, 20, how old now? Five, 20, 25. 25. She's, she's done a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, living in 25 years, I can tell you that. A serious uh, heroin uh, problem for several years in in her uh, late teens, early twenties, uh, in and out of uh, rehabs, um, a couple of near death experiences with with overdoses, and now fourteen months sober. And uh, congratulations for that. Let me Thank let me uh, before we uh, get into you know what the future holds for you. This is going to sound like a silly question. But that's what they pay me to do, ask silly <laughs> questions. Was it, is, looking back on it, was it harder to, to abuse drugs, to, to, you know, to, 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 to be a substance abuser, or is it harder to be sober? W- which of those two things is more difficult? Okay, we so, know which is more worthwhile, but which is more, <laughs> which is more difficult? T- today, for me, life is way easier than I ever thought. Um, in the beginning, um, using is way over it. Are, are way easier and a lot of people say opposite you know and, and it's true if i just put half of my energy into staying sober i could stay sober but the only thing i have to do when i'm using is get loaded and that's it when i'm sober i have to worry about these crazy feelings that crop up because of my distorted thinking from this disease with bills and all the wreckage that i've caused and just l- doing adult life things that i haven't been doing since I was 15 years old, you know, that I was never doing because heroin was all I knew. So for me, it, at first, it was just easier to use because all I have to do is focus on how I'm going to get money and get high. And that's it. Again, for people who don't know what this disease does to your your, your brain and how, you, how you're thinking, when you, when you say a substance a heroin user is all about one thing, getting high, mm-hmm. does that mean you wake up in the morning and start to calculate – how much you have, how much you need, when you're going to start to go into withdrawal, and where the money's going to come from. Do you, is I that- do that when I, I I did that when I would lay down in bed if I fell asleep. You know, okay, so what am I going to do tomorrow? Waking up with that same fear and anxiety of like I don't know how, because all I, the only thing I need to do it's not about getting high anymore. It's more about I have to get well to function then to get high like i have to get that next one and i can't hold anything overnight anymore i can't save money anymore i'm using everything in an hour and i'm scrambling it's all day all night if i sleep getting money to get high yeah, so in an odd sense i hear you as all consuming obviously as that is it it's one thing right it's just one thing okay that's my goal my goal is to get high yeah. and whatever it takes then 
you start to get sober. <laughs> you're you're at retreat at this point now. Yeah. And then you're scared of the notion of, uh, uh-oh, now I have a lot of things I've got to accomplish. Like feelings. <laughs> I have to feel and I have to eventually make amends and, and try to, you know, because I want everybody to forgive me. So I'm thinking of all the people I have to say I'm sorry to, which isn't how it works at all. You know, I'm thinking of how, where am I going to live? How am I going to get a job? I'm not employable. I haven't kept a steady job. You know, all these things that I haven't had to face with sober, emotional, that, that anxiety that I felt through high school, middle school, elementary school is all flooding back. Like it's the first time I've ever experienced it, along with not knowing how to stay sober. And so in treatment, when you're here when you're here at retreat here the last time, 14 months ago or so, um, how important was it to be around people who'd been there and done this? How, um, can you rephrase the question? Yeah, I'm so sorry. How important is it to be around people who have been where you are? Where? Oh, um, for me, you know, it, it is necessary because, like, I'm going to hang around people – who have more time than me. Not that time matters, you know. It, it is just a couple more 24 hours experience, but I want to know what they did so I can get what they got. You know, when I found my sponsor, I wanted what she had because I never seen a woman with emulating such light and grace as she did, you know. And so I tried to find the attraction of people and things I wanted. And it, it's not a materialistic thing. You can't put your hands on it. It's this undescribable thing that you see in, in, in such a person. Is it seeing somebody who's been through what you were going through succeed that you found so encouraging that it, well, look at that, maybe maybe I can do that too? Yeah, especially, you know, not that, you know, no one has to experience the worst to get sober, but especially seeing people who have been through worse than I have. Mm. I'm like, hey, man, if they can do it, then like uh, there, maybe there is um, hope for a hopeless addict like me. How do you, and the alumni group is great for all of this, right? Oh, yeah. I mean, um, it's crazy because, you know, I actually do still talk to um, two people that I was in treatment with, which is a pretty incredible thing that are still doing well. And like, even though I might not know everybody and didn't go through treatment with them, you know, we were still part of the same facility. And it's just that camaraderie and kind of family air that's like, hey, I don't know. It's just like it's real heartwarming, the events that happen and. So where, uh, so now now what do you want to do? Where do you see yourself headed uh, as you remain successfully sober? Um, I mean, I, I want to take up the field in um, treatment uh, of drug and alcohol treatment. You know, I, I want to go back to school. Well, I've never been to college, so not go back. But I would like to enter mm-hmm. college mm-hmm. and, you know, uh, pursue drug and alcohol counseling. Eventually, I want to work as like a CA retreat goals you know that Mm -hmm. is a goal of mine because like who knows maybe I could hate it and be like oh this is too much for me I feel like that's a beautiful starting point if I could give back like a a grain of sand to one person the way like of have how much I was given when I was up on that hill um then I, I did what what I only dream of doing well, thanks for sharing the story and continued success. I have a great feeling and I wish you a lot of success. Uh, thanks for sharing your story with us. How's your brother? Oh, he he, he rides um, a bike. He drives. He skateboards. He has a wonderful girlfriend. He works for patients who are also like losing um, like parts of them. For, that's like, great. And your folks, they're good? 
I have the most beautiful relationship with my parents um, that I never thought I'd have. You know, um, they're so supportive. I'm going over to home to Jersey this weekend with my stepson and my boyfriend. Um, and we're going to go just Great. hang with them. Kimmy, thanks so much again. Uh, continued success. Appreciate it. Thank you. Thanks for spending time with us, folks, uh, on Recovery Radio. We'll be back next Saturday. Bye-bye. This program is a paid commercial announcement and in no way represents the views of WPHT or its management.